How about those baptisms, right? Yeah. Great day to be together. We're continuing in our series, When Jesus Appears, and we're looking at the appearances of Jesus during the 40 days between his resurrection and when he ascended back to heaven to be with the Father, where he reigns at the Father's right hand. And we're looking at these appearances of when Jesus showed up in the flesh because we know that Jesus still shows up in our lives and we want to know what to look for and how to respond when we experience the risen Jesus. Now today we're going to look at a moment where Jesus encounters the disciples when they're in a place, they're in a moment, they're in a time where they're kind of stuck. And they're not really sure what to do next. And just a show of hands, has anybody ever been in that place where you're stuck and I'm just really not sure what to do next? And maybe you're doing all the things, you're praying and you're writing out, well, here's all the pros and here's all the cons to this decision. And, and you're asking for advice and you're trying to make a good decision on how to move forward or what to do next. It might be about a relationship or it might be about a job opportunity or it might be about whether you, you know, take advantage of an opportunity or not, or, or there's lots of decisions we make in life where we're just not really sure what to do next. And we're going to find today what happens when Jesus shows up, when we're in that moment, when we're not sure what to do next. So let's just dive right into scripture. If you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. So he's already appeared to them once, and now he's appearing to them again. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So if you add this up, all right, we'll do the math. There are seven disciples who are here and they're not really sure what to do next. Now, as you read through the Gospel of John, always pay attention to numbers. They're always meaningful. They're always significant in the Gospel of John. Here we have seven. It's a number of completion. It's a number of the work of God in the world and bringing his plan into fruition. So that's what he's about to do. He's about to bring his plan to completion through these disciples. All right, we'll keep going. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now here are the disciples. The text tells us they've actually seen Jesus risen twice now. This is the third appearance. And Jesus has met with them. He's proved to them that he's risen from the dead. And the disciples are pretty certain that there is something coming next. They would have been running through their minds all the things that Jesus had been telling them, trying to make sense of it. Now, understand, they don't yet have the Holy Spirit. So they're just trying to use their own mental ability to try to understand all these amazing, crazy things that Jesus has been teaching them. But they know something is next, but they're really not sure what is next. And so they're kind of stuck. They know they can't go back to the life that they had before, but they don't know what they're supposed to do to move forward. And so Peter speaks up. He's the disciple that often says something before he thinks. And, and he just throws something out there. He's like, guys, I don't know what to do. I'm going fishing. Now, a lot of times we can bash Peter for the decisions he makes. And I've heard a lot of bashing on Peter for this decision to go back to fishing but I want us to really learn to read what's in the text and not read into what's not there. Because the scripture doesn't tell us that Peter has lost his faith. I mean, he just saw Jesus. It doesn't tell us that he's given up on the mission. It doesn't really tell us that he's doing anything wrong at all. All we know is that he doesn't know what to do next, so he's just landing back on what he knows to do. And maybe Peter's going back. Maybe he thinks that this will help fund the mission moving forward. We don't know. But he goes and he's kind of in this place where he's stuck. And he's joined by six of the other disciples. Seven of them in all. And really all of them. And you could include the, the rest of the disciples. are in a place where, man, we don't, are not sure what to do next. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up and he calls out to them, throw the net on the other side. And we're going to see some significance of what Jesus says to them in just a moment. But I want us to just stop and reflect, put ourselves in the story and ask yourself, when have I had those moments in my life where it's not necessarily that I quit believing in God. It's not necessarily that I feel like God has totally given up on me or I'm not, you know, I'm not going to move forward. It's just, I don't really know what to do next. Think about those moments in your life where you've been there. I don't know whether to take this job or this opportunity or, or say yes or no here. I'm not sure if I should give my time to this. I'm not sure what to do in this moment. And what I want to offer to you is that if you will open your eyes to look for him and your ears to listen for him, Jesus will show up in that moment and he will guide you just like he does for the disciples. Now, what does he do for the disciples specifically? Well, the first thing that we need to notice is before he gives them any directions, Jesus shows up and he shows them who he is. I mean, think about this story. These, at least four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, are professional fishermen. 
they know what they're doing, right? And they're out fishing, and they fish the entire night, as you would do, and they've caught nothing, absolutely zero. And they're putting forth a lot of effort without a lot of production. You ever been in that moment of your life? Like, I'm putting forth out a lot of effort. Maybe it's in your job or relationship or spiritually. I'm putting out a lot of effort, but there's not really any production happening. That's where these disciples are. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey guys, throw your net. First of all, I love this. This is like, you know, Jesus is kind of like poking at him. Like, hey guys, you caught anything? Like, no, full well, they haven't caught anything. Kind of rubbing it in. No, we haven't caught anything. Throw your net on the other side. And it says that they caught how many fish? 153. Now, I have searched and searched for years. I have yet to find any scholar or theologian that can give any significance to that number. I think it's just when you're a fisherman and you catch that many, and I'm looking at some of you, I know you're a fisherman, you catch that many fish, you're going to count them. Right? And it's going to go on Instagram, uh, it's going to go on TikTok, right? all the things. Look at this catch that I just hauled in. I think that's what's happening. But I want you to notice it wasn't by their ability that they caught the fish. Whose ability was it that allowed them to catch the fish? This is the easy Sunday school answer. It was Jesus and his ability. So the first thing that he does before he tells them what to do, which is going to come a little bit later, before he tells them what to do, he shows them who he is. And why does he do this? It's because he knows, it's the same way that he works in our life, he knows that if we're going to listen to his instructions, we've got to first know who he is. See, I have a hunch that the reason these guys didn't catch any fish all night long is because God did not want them to catch any fish all night long. And the reason that God did not want them to catch any fish all night long is because he wanted them to know that they're in a place of need for God to do something that they can't do on their own. And so Jesus shows up and he says, hey guys, have you figured out that you're in need yet? Because once you figure that out, you will realize that I am able to meet your need. And this is one of the biggest problems that we face as Jesus followers. Until we are able and willing to admit that I have a need that only God can meet, I will never really listen to the guidance he wants to give me. I mean, I can ask him all day long of, God, would you lead me in the right direction and help me to make the right decision? And I'm not sure what to do next. But until you know that you really need him, you won't really listen to him. And I teach this often that we all, every human being on planet earth has two core needs. We all have a need for safety. I need to know my world is okay. And we all have a need for significance. I need to know that my life matters. And there's only one who can meet those needs, and it's your creator. And until we realize that only in him can those needs be met, we won't really listen. And so Jesus allows them, the Father allows them to realize that they're in need, and then Jesus says, I am able, and he shows us who he really is. Now, what do we learn about Jesus here? We realize that Jesus has power. Cast your net on the other side. And they had the, a catch like they had never had before. A couple of things that we, we learn here about Jesus. Number one, in his power, Jesus is alive. 
And after all, that is why we follow Jesus. It's what sets him apart from any other religious leader of any other religion throughout all of history is that he's not a historical fact. He's not an answer to a trivia question, but he is still alive, moving in our lives. And he's not someone to know about. He's someone to know and submit to. I mean, he showed up in the flesh. Hey, guys, come have breakfast with me. And he ate. He wasn't just kind of some floating vapor. He is alive. The second thing we learn here in his power is that he can provide. He provided for the need that they had in that moment, and he will do that for us as well. If you've been here any length of time, you've heard me say this before. The best indicator of God's future faithfulness is his past provision. How has he shown up and provided for you in your life? We need to remember those things because the same God who did it then will do it again. He can provide. We also learn that Jesus will call. You don't get to be saved without a call to follow. They go together. When you trust Jesus as Savior, you also have to trust him as Lord, which means I submit to whatever you call me to do. There might be somebody here today with a call to ministry and you're you're fighting it off. There might be somebody here today and God is is speaking to you that your job is not just a job, but I want you to spread the gospel even where you work. It might be somebody, God is calling out to you today, say you're not just a mom or a dad, but you have an opportunity to disciple somebody who's going to do great things in the world. You're not just on a baseball team, but you have a platform to share Jesus with the people that you get to see week in and week out. And we have all these different ways where God is calling us. It always comes as a part of the package. And then the fourth thing we learn about as Jesus shows his power is that Jesus does transform. He transforms our lives. That's the thing about Jesus. He likes to meddle. He doesn't just talk to us from a distance. What did he say to the disciples? Hey, come have breakfast with me. I got something I need to talk to you about. And I can just imagine what that conversation was like. All right. How'd it go for you last night? It wasn't too much fun, was it? What do you think about this, this circumstance, this event that just took place? Do you realize that this is just the beginning? And I wonder, especially the four, I wonder if they would have remembered when Jesus called them for the first time. And in Luke chapter 5, we have this mirror image of what's happening in John 21 where Jesus told those disciples, cast on the other side. And what did he tell them? He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Every single one of these disciples had tucked tail and run when Jesus was on the cross. And here they're back and Jesus says, I'm not done with you. They were falling all over themselves on their face, saying stupid things all the time. And yet moving forward, we find in history that these men did amazing, incredible things as the church was blowing up over this first 50 to 200 years of his existence. He transformed their lives and he wants to transform you and me. And he most certainly, we're going to find out in a couple of weeks exactly what he says to these disciples, but he's most certainly going to give them direction. But the first thing he does is he says, I want you to see who I am. I want you to see that you have a need. I want you to see that I'm able. I want you to see that I'm calling you. And don't miss this. While those disciples may have been been 
fixating and just hyper-focused on trying to make a decision, what do we do now? What Jesus was focused on was, hey, I want you to look at me. And don't miss this, because this is the same thing that Jesus does in my life and your life. We can get so hyper-focused on, do I say yes or no? Do I do this or not? Like, what do I do in this next moment? And you want Jesus to show up or just like send you a note or give you a text or a, a, a Twitter or jump in your DM or something and say, here's what I want you to do. But what Jesus is going to do, more than giving you the right answer, is he's going to say, I want you to look at me. I want you to see who I am. However he guides you, what he's most interested in is you walking with him. Because as you walk with him, the decisions that you make are going to naturally lean into what God wants for your life. And that's a key thing that we often miss as we follow Jesus. And as he invites you into him, he's going to say three specific things to you. He's going to allow three things to happen in your life. And there are three things that happened with the disciples that enabled them to move forward as well. So I want us to look at that. What are the three things that Jesus allows? Number one, Jesus allows me to be forgiven. I mean, think about it. All the disciples, except for the women, right? So kudos to you ladies. But all the guys... They tucktailed, they ran. Peter even denied Jesus, and we're going to talk about that some more next week. But they all just was like, I'm, I don't know what to do with this. I'm out. And Jesus could have been frustrated. He could have been bitter. He could have been like, you're out of here. You're disqualified. But he didn't do any of those things. He shows back up in their lives with an invitation. And he, he wants them to be forgiven. He wants them to be reinstated. He wants them to say, hey, we're not done yet. And that's what he does for you too. And a lot of us, the reason that we can't make a decision on how to move forward is because we are stuck in the past of something that we did or said or didn't do or didn't say. And we can't forgive ourselves, or maybe for some of us, you can't forgive somebody else. And so you're stuck still in that moment, unable to move forward, unable to think clearly, unable to do what God is calling you to do because you're in the past. And Jesus wants to, to say to you, you are forgiven. It's time to move forward. You're not disqualified. You know, Jesus requalifies. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. As his blood covers us, we're forgiven. The second thing that he does with the disciples that he'll do with you and me is that Jesus allows us to be redeemed. Every single one of these guys, their lives had fallen apart, they were broken, they had made a wrong decision, and yet Jesus shows up to redeem them. That you're no longer broken. You're no longer disqualified. You're, you're no longer what you did. You are who I say you are, and you are my son, you are my daughter, you belong to me. I'm gonna send you out, restored and whole, redeemed by my work in you. And when the Holy Spirit fills them as it's offered to us, we are completely redeemed. And we're transformed. We're changed. And he was going to transform all of these disciples, not just the seven, but all who would follow him. I mean, it's amazing the way that they were transformed from not having a single clue and saying just the dumbest things to 
doing miracles and preaching and putting their life online on the line and all of them except for John were martyred for their for their faith and totally transformed let's just take Peter for example just in this story we see the need for the transformation of his life and what Jesus offers to him so Peter's in the boat with the other six they're out fishing and Jesus says cast your net on the other side and even now, Peter doesn't realize what happens. It's John who has to point it out to him. And I love, if you read through John's gospel, I love how John consistently like jabs at Peter. Like who got to the, the tomb first? John did. Like who got it wrong? Peter did. Like, who recognized Jesus? John did. Like, he just consistently like jabs at Peter. Now, Peter doesn't know. It has to be pointed out to him by John. And he's taken his outer robe off to go fishing. And what does he do? I don't know why you would do this to jump in the water, but he puts his clothes back on and he jumps in the water and he embarrasses himself. And he didn't even have to jump in the water because they're right at shore. And he just, the word in the Greek to leap, it's not like a calculated jump. It's just like, you know, he just flails in the water. And he's making his way toward Jesus and the other disciples are in the boat and they're like, what an idiot. Not just because he jumped in the water, but who's left pulling in the fish, right? I mean, what we really see is not just an act of devotion, but it's an act of immaturity. He turns his back on the other six and is like, hey guys, you figure this out. You haul in the fish, which we know he can't because he has to come back and help them. When they were all going toward Jesus, Jesus wasn't going anywhere. And Jesus could have been like, Peter, you doofus, get back in the boat and help them. But that's not what he does. He welcomes Peter in. And what we're going to find out next week is that there's a conversation that Jesus wants to have with Peter. To completely transform his heart, his mind, and his life. He did it for the other disciples. He does it for you and me. He redeems us. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus also allows me to be restored. He restores us to relationship with him. Well, what did he do? Hey, guys, bring some of that fish you got and, and, and catch us in the story. I love this. He's like, bring it over and let's add it to what I already have. Where did the fish come from and where did the bread come from that Jesus had? All right? I mean, he's showing he is a powerful God. And he's brought some. He started breakfast. We'll find out next week the significance of the burning coal fire. There's only two places in the New Testament where that appears. And he has a breakfast, breakfast for them. And we need to understand in Jewish culture, when you shared a meal with somebody, it wasn't just sharing a meal. You were sharing your life. It was, you matter enough to me that I want to do life with you. It was basically saying, hey, we're friends and we're friends for life. Now remember, all of these guys turned their back ran away, not just walked away, ran away in the moment of his deepest need. And he came and he forgave them and he's going to redeem them. But even more than that, he said, I still want to do life with you. And that's what he's saying to you. You might be stuck because of something somebody did or said or something you did or said or a, a struggle that you have or a sin that you can't seem to get over. And I promise you, 
Jesus is not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He's not frustrated. What he's saying to you is, I still want to do life with you. That hasn't changed. Do you realize your need yet? Do you realize how much you really need me? Are you, are you done fighting with me now? Are, are you done trying to do it your own way? Will you listen to me now? Because I still want to do life with you. And I want to restore you to me. And I think about in my own life, those big moments where, where Jesus, if he could, if it was audible, then it was, it was audible where he would say to me, hey, dummy, if you'll get out of the way, I got some things I want to do with your life. And he restores me to him. What does that look like for you today? Where's the guidance that you need? It might just be in your life that your biggest problem is what God is gonna use as his platform to propel you into the very place he wants you to be. And all he's asking you, he is not asking you to make the right decision and figure things out. He is only asking you to put your eyes on him. One of the greatest lessons I've ever learned in life is you can make a right decision with a prideful heart and God will humble you. But on the other side of that, sometimes you can make a wrong decision because you are trying to be faithful to God and God will restore and redeem that decision because you're coming to him with faith and saying, I just have my eyes on you. The decision is not the point. God has the results in his hands. He just wants you to focus on him. That is so often what guidance looks like. A lot of the times guidance is not God saying, let me just make it black and white for you. Here's the decision that you make. Guidance sometimes looks like just put your eyes on me and let me work it out for you. It's not always that God says it's this one or that one. And if you pick the wrong one, then you're, you're in trouble. No, God says, I've got a hold of your life if you will trust me. There's this great big lie in our, our lives where we think well, like we can and should be in control. We got to let go of that. He's got you. So what does that look like for you? How do we do that? Well, we open our eyes and we look for him. We keep searching. We listen for him. And when we see him, when we hear him, guys, we've got to submit to him and be obedient. I would say even if we don't know what is next, but I would say especially if we don't know what's next, especially if we don't know where this will lead, just be obedient. And God will speak to you. Maybe he'll speak to you that you're forgiven. Maybe he'll speak to you that you are redeemed. You're not disqualified. I requalified you. Maybe he'll speak to you that you're restored. I still want to do life with you. And I know you got this big looming decision. Trust me, I've got it. Just put your eyes on me. And all I want you to do is ask, what's the next right thing to do? And just do that over and over and over and over again. My eyes are fixed on you. What's the next right thing to do in the next 10 seconds? I'm going to do that over and over and over again. I know you've got the results. That's my challenge for us today. If you're in a place where you're, you're stuck, I'm not sure what to do next, put your eyes on him. He will show you he's able and he's going to invite you in. So you'll stand. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me that we would have this singular focus. God, let me put my eyes on you. So let's pray. Father, thank you that in our need, that you are able, that you have power. 
Lord, that whatever we're struggling with, God, you, you are fully capable of dealing with it. God, I thank you that even more than giving us a right decision, Lord, you draw us into you because all the outcomes belong to you. And I, I pray right now specifically, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to minister to us, every person who is battling insecurity or anxiety or fear or uncertainty because they're in a place in life where they're stuck and they're not sure what to do next. I pray that you would minister to them to know confidently that all they have to do is put their eyes on you and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? and that you have the outcome. And if there be any person, Lord, who they can't do that because they haven't put their trust in you, I pray, Lord, that right now in this moment that they would say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I am broken, I've been trying to do life on my own, and I've messed it up. Lord, I've been fishing and I caught nothing, and I need you. And would you save me, would you redeem me, would you give me life? And help them to step into the, the new life you have for them. God, it's all about you. It's always been about you. We submit to you. We worship you. We honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. And we pray in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.